Welcome to Grim Gossip. Before we start the show, I want to give a proper warning. The episode you are about to hear may include grim details about assault, rape, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Today's case is about Angel Resendez, who was born in Mexico in 1960. His family said he was a quiet, shy boy who rarely ever got into trouble, but he tended to spend all of his time alone. He was regularly abused by his dad until age six when he was sent to live with his uncle where his life did not get any better. His uncle raped him repeatedly and he was also sexually assaulted by a local pedophile. He then went back to live with his mom at age 12. According to his mom, when Angel was 13 or 14 years old, he was raped again by a group of older boys after going for a swim in a nearby river. When he was 16, he decided to go to Texas to find work, but was quickly deported back to Mexico because he was arrested for breaking and entering and destroying private property. He voluntarily agreed to go back after he was arrested, but he was back in the U.S. by 1979. When he was arrested yet again for breaking into the home of an 88-year-old man and severely beating him, he received a 20-year prison sentence for assault and burglary but was released six years later in 1985. In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, his mom said that he was gang raped in prison, which contributed to his early release straight back to Mexico. But again, he was able to sneak back into the U.S. the following year. Let's walk through his timeline. In 1986, he snuck back into the U.S. into Bexar County, Texas, where he met a homeless woman and her boyfriend at a shelter. They decided to take a trip together to the woods to drink and shoot guns at targets with a 38 caliber. At some point during their target practice, Angel decided to kill them both. First the woman because she had apparently disrespected him, then her boyfriend because Angel believed that he was into black magic. He dumped their body at an abandoned farmhouse nearby, then he dumped the boyfriend in a creek between San Antonio and Uvalde, Texas. The boyfriend's body was never found, and both victims have never been identified. They remain John and Jane Doe's to this day. Following this event a few years later, he was arrested in Laredo, Texas for fraudulently applying for social security cards, weapons possession while being a convicted felon, and for falsely representing himself as a U.S. citizen, having illegally crossed the border using a fake U.S. birth certificate. He was sentenced to 30 months in jail, according to the U.S. Justice Department. He was released and deported in 1991. A few months later, Angel was back in Texas. He went to San Antonio, Texas, where he met a man named Michael White. Angel had bludgeoned Michael White to death with a brick and left his body in front of an abandoned house. His reasoning? Because Michael White was gay. From there, Angel made his way to Florida. In 1997, he met a couple of teenage runaways named Jesse Howell and Wendy Von Huben, engaged to be married. He bludgeoned Jesse Howell to death with an air hose coupling, which is the large metal piece at the end of an air hose meant for airing up car tires. Jesse was left dead beside the railroad tracks. Wendy Von Huben was raped before being strangled and suffocated, both manually and with duct tape. He then sodomized her corpse. She was later found 
buried in a shallow grave in Sumter County, Florida. His reasoning for this murder? Because he believed they were anti-Christians. This is where it's believed that he began to escalate. In the same year, Angel found himself in Lexington, Kentucky, where he ran to Christopher Meyer and Holly Dunn. They were a couple who wandered away from their college party to talk alone, so they walked along the railroad tracks close by. When they decided to turn around to go back to their party, Angel came out from behind an electrical box holding an ice pick. He asked them for money, but they didn't have any on them. He instructed Chris to lie face down in the grass, then tied Chris's feet together and his hands behind his back. Then he took off his belt to tie Holly's hands behind her back and tied her feet together too. He gagged them both with a torn up shirt, then walked away. Holly was able to untie her hands and ungag them both, and they began to talk about their escape plan. But Holly couldn't get her feet untied, and she couldn't get Chris's feet or hands untied either. Before they could talk further, Angel was back with a very large rock, which he, without warning, dropped on Chris's head. He then climbed on top of Holly to rape her. She tried to fight, but Angel held the ice pick to her neck to subdue her. After he was done, he savagely beat her and left her for dead. But she survived. She was able to make her way to someone's house to get help, where the person who found her said she was so drenched in blood, he didn't know where it was coming from. The cops were called and she was transported to the hospital immediately and miraculously survived this terrible incident. In October of the same year, Angel was back in Texas. In Hughes Spring, he broke into the home of Leafy Mason, where he beat her to death with a vintage flat iron. She was found covered with a blanket and the contents of her wallet laid out on the couch. No money was taken. Psychologists say because he didn't take any valuables and he had covered the body that he knew what he had done and he couldn't look at it. They found half-eaten food on the counter, but no sign of the killer. In December of the same year, Angel made his way to Carl, Georgia, where he broke into Fanny Byers' home. She was found having been beaten to death with a tire iron. Her home happened to have been located near a railroad track, making her home an easy target when he got off the train. Initially, another couple was charged for this murder, but the charges were later dropped. At this point, Angel started to make his way back to Mexico because his wife was pregnant and she was due soon. He wanted to be there for the birth of his daughter. On his way to Mexico, he crossed back through Texas, where he broke into Claudia Benton's home, a 39-year-old pediatric neurologist. She was found sexually assaulted, beaten, and stabbed to death. He had stolen her car, later abandoning it in San Antonio and leaving his fingerprints on the steering wheel, effectively linking him to the crime. He made it back to Mexico in time for his daughter's birth, but was right back in the States a couple of months later. In May of 1999, Angel was in Weimar, Texas, where he broke into the home of Reverend Norman and his wife Karen Cernick. They were found in their house, beaten to death with a sledgehammer. 
and Karen's corpse was found to be sexually defiled. He stole their car, then later abandoned it a hundred miles west of San Antonio. Soon after, Angel was captured by Border Patrol agents near the border of El Paso, but not for the murders. He was arrested for crossing the border illegally. He was immediately released back to Mexico, but two days later, he was back in Texas. On June 4, 1999, Angel was in Houston, Texas, where he broke into the home of Naomi Dominguez, a 26-year-old schoolteacher. She was found in her apartment, bludgeoned to death with a pickaxe, which Angel took with him. He stole her car, then abandoned it on the International Bridge in Del Rio, Texas. It was found by state troopers. On the same day in Dubina, Texas, Josefina Convica was his next victim. She was found bludgeoned to death with the same pickaxe from the previous murder. He tried to steal her car, but couldn't find her keys, so he left on foot to find another train, which he did. At this point, investigators started to piece together the murders. They were looking for a Mexican drifter named Rafael Resendez Ramirez in connection with the six deaths in Texas and one in Kentucky, all brutal beatings having taken place near railroad tracks. The day after this information was put out to the public, Angel was already in Gorham, Illinois. When George Morber Sr. stepped out to get his morning paper, he returned to his house with Angel already there. He was tied, then shot in the head with a shotgun. His daughter, Carolyn Frederick, stopped by to visit her dad, only to find Angel. When she got there, Angel beat her with the shotgun so badly that the shotgun snapped in half. He then stole George's truck to make his way back to Mexico, but he left his fingerprints all over the house. A week later, Angel made it onto the FBI's 10 most wanted list, bumping Osama bin Laden off the list. They did correct his name, but they continued to use both during their manhunt, thinking he might be using the other name as an alias. But since this was aired on national TV, his sister saw him and got worried. She contacted the police immediately for fear that her brother may have killed someone, that he might be killed by the cops, or that bounty hunters or vengeful vigilantes may get to him first. Angel's family began working with Texas Rangers behind the scenes in order to get him into custody. His sister was able to get a hold of him and convince him to surrender peacefully, which he agreed to. She was awarded $86,000 for helping law enforcement with the arrest. In July of 1999, Drew Carter, a Texas Ranger, and Manuela, a spiritual guide, met with Angel at a border crossing near El Paso, finally ending the nationwide manhunt for this serial killer. Angel was ultimately caught because his fingerprints were found at multiple crime scenes, including homes and cars. He also took trophies home for his mom and wife back in Mexico, trophies like rings and necklaces, which they gave up to the police as evidence. In spring of 2000, Angel went on trial for the murder of Claudia Benton, where he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. 
He said he was doing God's work and that he was sent to punish those who were evil and deserved to die. But he was found mentally competent and convicted of capital murder, which includes a death sentence. He was sentenced to be executed by lethal injection on July 27, 2006. His final words were, quote, I want to ask if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask you to forgive me and ask the Lord to forgive me for allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank God for having patience in me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You do not deserve this. I deserve what I am getting." Unquote. Over the span of 14 years, Angel's known victims accumulated to 16, and those are just the ones we know about in the U.S. He confessed to multiple other murders in Mexico, but the U.S. could not convict him of those since they didn't happen here. He was able to get away with it for so long because he was a drifter, hopping from train to train. He was under the radar because he wasn't documented at work. He was working under the table getting paid cash instead of with a trackable check. And every time he was arrested and deported before, he was able to get back to the States unchecked. The lone survivor Holly Dunn, now Holly Dunn Pendleton, is an inspiration to many. She tells her story to motivate others to reclaim their lives after assault. She's the spokesperson for Holly's House, which is a local sex abuse and domestic violence advocacy center she co-founded in Evansville, Tennessee. If you want to hear more of her story, which is an incredible journey, I suggest looking her up. She goes into more details about her events and how she recovered mentally and physically. And that is where the case ends. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, there's many more to come. Hit the subscribe button so that you get notifications when new episodes drop. If you have any suggestions, send them my way at grimgossippod at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at grimgossippod. All websites used for the research is in the show notes if you guys want to take a deeper dive into this case. Thank you for listening. Until next time.